0: Welcome to First Do No Harm with Massachusetts Citizens for Life board member and physician, Dr. Mark Rollo. This broadcast will focus on medical ethics from a Catholic perspective and address abortion, physician-assisted suicide, contraception, natural family planning, IVF, healthcare proxy, and other topics. Please be advised that this show may not be appropriate for children under 13.
1: Hello and welcome back to First, Do No Harm, a show about medical ethics from a Catholic perspective. I'm Dr. Mark Rolo. On June 24th, 2022, a day that future generations will remember as the day the United States of America started to regain its sanity, the Supreme Court of the United States reversed the infamous Roe v. Wade decision of 1973. After nearly 50 years of the slaughter of the innocents, we have begun to restore our legal and moral bearings. Millions of preborn babies will no longer be indiscriminately killed. Inconvenient life will no longer be snuffed out with impunity. Death will cease to be a constitutional solution for a social problem. Truly, this is a time for celebration. However, just as millions of innocent human beings will be saved, millions more will be considered disposable. The atrocity of abortion will continue unabated in states like California, New York, and Massachusetts. And so we in the Bay State have our work cut out for us. In many ways, our work has become even more arduous. Today, I will play part one of my recent interview with Andrew Beckwith, president of Massachusetts Family Institute, an organization dedicated to strengthening the well-being, health, and safety of families, including the unborn in Massachusetts. We actually have many family issues to discuss, but first and foremost will be our discussion of the massive victory of relegating Roe v. Wade to the ash heap of history. Before we continue, let us pray for, as stated by the U.S. Catholic bishops, only with prayer, prayer that storms the heavens for justice and mercy prayer that cleanses our hearts and souls? Will the culture of death that surrounds us today be replaced with a culture of life? Matthew chapter 2 verses 16 to 18 reads this way. When Herod realized that he had been deceived by the Magi, he became furious. He ordered the massacre of all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity, two years old and under in accordance with the time he had ascertained from the Magi. Then was fulfilled what had been said through Jeremiah the prophet. A voice was heard in Ramah, sobbing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children, and she would not be consoled, since they were no more. O oh God, save us from the fear and jealousy that leads us to seeking solutions which devalue and destroy life. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now here is part one of my conversation with Andrew Beckwith, president of Massachusetts Family Institute. Joining me now is Andrew Beckwith, Andrew Beckwith is the president of Massachusetts Family Institute, which was established in 1991, and is dedicated to strengthening families in Massachusetts, according to Judeo-Christian principles. Andrew is a graduate of Gordon College and of the University of Minnesota Law School. He serves as an allied attorney with Alliance Defending Freedom focusing on religious liberty cases. He also serves as a judge advocate in the United States Marine Corps Reserves, where he holds the rank of lieutenant colonel. Prior to going to Massachusetts Family Institute, he litigated immigration cases for the Boston office of the Department of Homeland Security. Andrew, his wife Karen, and their four children live in Wenham, Massachusetts. So welcome, Andrew. Thanks for uh, joining me today.
0: Well, thanks for having me on, Doctor. It's always a pleasure to talk with you.
1: I am really excited. There's so much going on, and I'm excited to talk with you from your perspective as a lawyer about a number of things that are going on and that Massachusetts Family Institute is involved with. And the very first thing I want to talk about is the recent Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade and overturning Casey versus uh, Planned Parenthood. The reversal of Roe and Casey was no less, in my opinion, than, than a legal and cultural earthquake. Okay. And I, I, uh, I'll tell you my initial re- reaction. I'd, lo- I'd love to get your initial reaction, but I was just elated. I was ecstatic. My, my mother fought this for her her whole adult life, and she passed away about a year ago at the age of 99 and never got to see this day. But, you Mm. know, we stand on on the shoulders of people like her that fought for decades to get this uh, overturned. And one thing kept reverberating in my mind. Every time, and this is the patriotic time of year with the 4th of July and so forth and Flag Mm. Day, and every time I heard the the America the Beautiful, I thought of the line, God mend thine every flaw. And every time mm-hmm. I heard that song, I had abortion in mind. I had Roe v. Wade in mind. And so it was, it's just wonderful that I can sing that song and say, thank you, God, for, for mending this, this uh, grievous flaw. So I, I wonder how this decision uh, struck you when it came down.
0: Well, I mean, of course, the first I saw it was in the leaked decision, and so kind of the um, some of the confusion and chaos that accompanied a leaked decision, which is essentially unprecedented, Mm -hmm. was kind of my initial reaction of was Is this thing real? I mean, can we get it? Yeah. And I tended to be I I didn't think the court would actually do it. I mean, I know a lot of people had their hopes up and working very hard for this, but you know. We've been burned so many times yep. on so many fronts, so I was I was just sort of surprised, and then you know I finally read Alito's decision and just thought, man, if this thing holds up, if this is what is actually issued, and it essentially was, uh, this is a tremendous victory. Yes, um, and yes, yeah, sets to right decades worth of, of bad law and bad precedent.
1: Yeah, and, and and speaking of bad law and bad precedent, I wonder if we can just kind of go through how ridiculous this law was and how convoluted the reasoning was from the beginning. As, as Alito yeah. mentioned, yeah. he said it was egregious from the beginning. And he, he reviewed how initially they spoke of the, the, the Supreme Court justices of, in 1973, spoke about the penumbra of privacy, right. you know, that the yeah. shadow of privacy is never a right to privacy is never mentioned in the Constitution, but they kind of said that there is a sort of this implication, and they invoked the First Amendment, the Third Amendment, the Fourth, the Fifth, the yeah. Ninth. They were really searching, and then finally the Fourteenth Amendment to justify Roe, and then they, after that, they said, "Well, now we have Starry Decisis." In other words, yeah, we've go. already decided, and so we can't really easily reverse it. And then came Casey, about 20 years later, in 1992. And they focused on the 14th Amendment and the mm-hmm. so-called undue burden test. In other words, you couldn't right. put a woman through the undue burden of uh, obtaining, of you know, going through steps to before obtaining a, an abortion. Right. And then even in this, in the uh, Dobbs case, Justice Roberts tried to apply yeah. another vague test and said, well, we're not going to use viability. We're not going to use undue burden. We're going to say a woman... Needs a reasonable opportunity to uh, obtain an abortion, and he wanted to keep Roe and Casey. And fortunately, ah, these five yeah. brave justices said, "No, no, this is terrible law." Right. And uh, so, what, what were, what, what are kind of your was your thinking about reviewing uh, Alito's decision?
0: Well, I mean, he's exactly right in saying that you can't have a due process right to something that is not only not in the Constitution, right. but th- does not have sort of a long-standing tradition. It's not part of the common law.
1: Exactly.
0: And essentially, he said this whole idea of substantive due process, I was just getting kind of deep in the weeds, uh, but the idea of substantive due process that, that Roe and his progeny were hanging on at this point needs to just be done away with because it doesn't actually exist. Mm -hmm. Which makes sense if you think about it, right? I mean, you have procedural rights and substantive rights, or right to the proper process, and then actual rights, you know, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, uh, property, those types of things. Mm -hmm. Um, And a substantive due process right is sort of, is trying to create substance out of process. Mm -hmm. Um, The two things are separate. So just kind of like the original Roe decision, we're going to mash together a bunch of different, rights that and case law that don't really apply and you know that hopefully that the whole will be greater than the sum of its parts but that's not how the law is supposed to work and that the rights either there or it's not and alito correctly pointed out that this is not something we have had historically there's no common law right to abortion and it's not in the constitution so we can't just invent that a whole cloth. and it's frankly sort of satisfying to see that because thousands and thousands of, of law students, we had to go through law school learning Roe v. Wade and reintroduce decisions, and it's kind of they're kind of hard to take seriously, because it's yeah. pretty obvious, just mm-hmm. like with the Obergfeld decision, and others, that this is a policy decision, that right. the, the, the judges in the majority wanted to come to this decision, and they're just going to throw some legal gobbledygook yeah. on paper to make it work. I know it yeah. sounds pretty cynical, but
1: yeah, it's no, true. that's true. And, no.
0: and even Roberts, who has lost his spine, by and large, um, well, he's sort of typical of what we used to get from Republican appointees. Exactly. His justices who would write great conservative dissents, you know, when it's safe, when it doesn't matter. Right, but, um, right, right. Are scared to be in the majority. That's kind of how I see Roberts. So his dissent in Obergefell was great. And it was correct, and it said, I know, I know a lot of people are celebrating right now that, that there's this newly um, really found right to same-sex marriage, but it is without basis in the Constitution.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. And, uh, in fact, that kind of gets to um, uh, Justice Thomas's um, opinion, mm-hmm. and he, I like Justice Thomas, Why well, I loved Alito's uh, opinion, and his mm. was the opinion of the court, and it was a much longer yeah. But Justice uh, Thomas kind of reviewed the fact that these other cases that were sort of precedent and, and also antecedent to Roe v. Wade should be considered too. So this whole right to privacy, you know, he argues that um, it started with Griswold, and Griswold mm-hmm. was the case that said, uh, in, invoking a so-called right to privacy where uh, married people could have contraception. Because before 1965, I think it was, it was actually illegal. And so Griswold overruled that. No, there's a right to privacy in the Constitution. You can't do that. And then they went on to the the Eisenstadt, which says, well, not only can you not keep married people from having contraception, you can't keep anybody from Mm -hmm. having contraception. And then that led to, you know, my understanding anyway, is the Lawrence case in Texas, where they said, well, we can't. We can't make any kind of sex act, you know, sodomy. It struck down sodomy laws, in, uh, in the Lawrence case did in, in uh, Texas. And then finally, as you mentioned, Obergefell said that you can't even say that a marriage should be between a man and a woman. So he just makes the case that um, we can't keep hiding, as, we, as he put it, we can't keep hiding new rights— in the so-called uh, due process, and the so-called and the equal protection clause, what do you what are your right. thoughts about? Uh, no, I agree. Thomas? I agree.
0: He's totally correct, and it's it's still amazing to, to think that they've actually taken that first big step, with undoing doing Roe v. Wade and essentially doing away or or signaling it that that they want to do away with substantive due process. Yeah, uh, and these sort of invented invented rights by the court. You know, unlike the abortion issue and at the moment there's not that i'm aware of but there's not this big groundswell of legal challenges to obergfell you don't have states passing various types of marriage restrictions trying to chip away at obergfell so i don't know how we would get back to the court on that in in the near future i uh, hopefully there are people out there working on it uh, i know some people do have some plans and but it's you know, there's not that sort of infrastructure yeah. and, and history and strategy that you have with the with Roe. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah. it's great to see that that the court is is coming is coming back to the Constitution right. you know, to be a document that's more predictable and reliable, even though it's a big sea change right now. But yeah, sometimes you have to do that to get back to
1: the truth. Yeah, well, you know, lest uh, lest anybody forget the the Fourteenth Amendment, which was being used for a long time to invent rights. Yeah. Was initially ratified in, in uh, 1868, and the reason for mm-hmm. it was slavery. It was right. it was saying you can't deprive anybody of due process uh, and equal protection. They had slavery in mind, and, and saying that right. you can't discriminate against uh, former slaves. And uh, this somehow morphed into you know protecting contraception and uh, same sex marriage. Yeah. And, well look, the uh, be,
0: the best decision would have been not we're gonna re, we're gonna uh reverse Roe and send it back to the States. They could have just said, actually, you know what? Uh science has made it abundantly clear, advanced technological advances over the last few years made it abundantly clear that uh life thing is a conception and so children in utero are fully human and therefore persons worthy of legal protection.
1: Right. Right. I I think it was uh, I think it's Rand uh Rand Paul has yeah. been trying to do that at the federal level saying um good you know saying that uh because the fourteenth amendment no person shall be deprived of equal rights right. um and if you simply say and a fetus is a is a person, an unborn human right. being is right. a person, then that stands the fourteenth amendment uh argument on its head. That's right.
0: I mean you're a doctor. I know I know you're not a biologist, so you probably can't tell us <laughs> what a woman is, but as a you're doctor right. uh, how else would you declare when a when a child becomes a person
1: yeah i mean that's it's it's clear it's it sort of gets back to the the whole ridiculous what is a woman well a woman is a woman yeah. because chromosomally she has two x chromosomes as far as yeah. her and a human is a human because they have 46 pairs of chromosomes and that comes about when a sperm a human sperm unites with a human egg at uh, conception and so you really can't draw the line anywhere else as to when does life begin when does human life begin right. and anytime you try to get into um you know a conversation about what is a person mm-hmm. is a person something different than a human being then you just get into a whole a whole lot of uh, subjectivity in it and uh, you get the kind of morass that we've had for the past 50 years in trying to invent invent different rights and invent different ways to define what a human being is. So I think I, it's interesting that you bring up Obergefell because um, if Justice Thomas was giving us a roadmap as to how you would unwind all of this, it would probably have to start, it wouldn't initially go back to contraception since that's you know so embedded in our culture now. But I think going to something more recent uh, which yep. is the Obergefell decision in same-sex marriage, which was absurd on its face mm-hmm. from the very beginning. I would like to see somebody somewhere challenge that on the basis of this recent decision. Do you, do you think, uh, what do you think about whether or not that sort of an approach would fly?
0: Well, I mean, you'd have to, I think you would probably need, again, taking sort of the model of the pro-life movement is used. Uh, you'd need a, a, a conservative pro-marriage state mm-hmm. to, to bring suit somehow you've got you've got thir- I mean, it's 30 or 31 states that have state constitutional amendments mm-hmm. i guess you could have the state decide you know we're going to start enforcing that constitutional amendment because we believe based on uh, the Dobbs decision that uh burke wrongly decided that yeah i'm not sure
1: yeah I, I i think it's a good thing to just kind of throw out there and let let uh, cool. people uh, give that some thought
0: well uh, i mean and like you know like the road decision the courts and the elites thought that they were going to settle the issue and yes. people would move on. And of course that did not happen. Right. Uh, and we must not let that happen with Obergefell and the marriage decision either. Yeah. I think there's, there's more of a temptation to do that and a risk of doing that. Cause that's what it feels like right now. Hopefully it doesn't take 50 years to undo Obergefell. Yes. Right. And the important thing is to not let that controversy die. That fight. Exactly. Isn't over. Right. In many ways, like, Churchill said, this is not the end. It's not even the beginning of the end when it comes to the marriage fight. Perhaps it's just the end of the beginning. Yeah.
1: Well, uh, getting, uh, uh, coming from a a national perspective to a more local uh, perspective, uh, we have a long way to go in Massachusetts because, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, Roe v. Wade is gone, but Massachusetts has already uh, codified Roe and went actually beyond Roe. And very sneakily, in a lame duck session, the day after Christmas, uh, had the so-called Roe Act. And uh, could you just, um, could sure. we talk about that a little bit and, and why that was even sure. more was egregious actually, than Roe v. Wade?
0: Form- yeah, formally passed on December 29th, I believe, of 2020, which for Catholic and Orthodox friends was the, uh, the Feast of the Holy Innocents.
1: Mm, Yes.
0: Um, the mm. slaughter of the children at the hands of Herod. Again, and many of the people voting for it professing to be Catholic, so you know, very, very tragic on a number of levels. But what, what essentially what this law does, we call, we've referred to it as the Infanticide Act, and mm-hmm. we do that because one of the major things it does, in addition to lowering the age that you can, at which you can get an abortion without any parental consent from 18 to to 16, mm-hmm. um, is it eliminated language that was that was on the books that required doctors. To provide life-saving care right to children who are accidentally born alive yeah it's, it's hard to even sort of wrap your head around as many yeah. as a doctor maybe you understand it better but uh if during the course of an abortion a child makes it out of the birth canal before it can be killed mm-hmm. in utero which you know if you they, so the natural process can kind of take over a child comes out uh, at that point, the doctors are no longer required by law in Massachusetts to render life-saving care Yeah, That's right. So you enter this gray area where You know, it's not as if they're actively killing the child because they don't need to typically at 23 24 25 weeks It's certainly sooner if a child comes out of the womb They're they're not going to make it without a lot right. of you know, Intense help and so as gov former governor Northam uh, of Virginia said, who himself was a pediatrician, mm-hmm. on a radio interview discussing a similar bill, that you know at that point, if a child is born alive accidentally, at that point a conversation would ensue. Yes, yeah. those words right. between the mom and the doctor. Right. Well, at that point, you have a live child outside the womb, mm-hmm. who you know, even in Elizabeth Warren's America, is a human person, right. you know, with, with all the rights and entails. Um, so the only conversation you're having at that point is whether you're going to commit passive infanticide.
1: yeah, and they and they and that's right, and and they don't come right out and say it they they are they're always right. trying to be sneaky about it. and they right. they change the law subtly from the old law saying, if a baby is accidentally born alive, and like you said, it's hard huh. to even say those words yeah. accidentally born alive.' You have to resuscitate. The, that's the old law. You have to resuscitate yeah. that baby. Now sure. they say you you have to have resuscitation equipment in the room.
0: Right? They left that in there. Yeah, so they there's left. There's no requirement. There's no requirement that they have to use. It.
1: There's no requirement that they have to use it. Which is which is absurd and very and very yeah. sneaky. And right. I mean, um,
0: for what purpose would you eliminate that requirement? Yeah the law.
1: Yeah, exactly. It
0: wasn't as if they were just repealing the whole law and didn't put that back in. They specifically
1: eliminated that language. Yeah, and 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 likewise, they insert language of well, in the third trimester, you can abort for for fatal fetal anomalies.
0: Right. Well, they're even trying to expand that now. And right, yeah.
1: they're right. They're they're trying to expand that to uh, from fatal to severe. Right. And that's we, even we, irrelevant.
0: That don't, well. Yes, I've heard some people say that that would then mean the easier to include kids with things like Down syndrome. Exactly, so it's not
1: fatal. So exactly, and they still have the so-called health language in there, so that they could also right they could also say, well, you know, the 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 mother's depressed, and therefore, for her mental health, we need to do this. Right. Thing. Third well, and that's
0: what I spent, I think, over a year trying to explain: um, is that look, this language of fatal fetal anomalies, which the pro-boards love to use, that mm. someone kind of gets scared. Like it, it's like if you say rape, incest, and fatal fetal anomalies, the pro-lifestyle just huddle up like a turtle in a shell and be <laughs> yeah. quiet because those are things are scary. Yeah. And you know, the reality is, rape and incest are less than one percent of all abortions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and incest, they just like using that because it's a, it's a dirty word. Mm-hmm. But you know the there's no, I mean, there's no go back to a word, well, There's no consensual adult sexual behavior that the liberals will condemn. So mm-hmm. If it's an adult father with an adult daughter, they're not going to say anything against it. And if it's an adult father with a with a minor daughter, it's statutory rape. So, yeah. so they're just talking about rape. They threw the word incest is redundant to them. And rape, tragic as that is. You know, I've got a, a very, very close family friend who uh, was adopted and later in life met his birth mom and learned that he was conceived in rape, and his life is no less valuable because of how he was conceived. And and fatal fetal anomalies, in this bill, completely unnecessary language, because as you point out, they've already got a, a loophole big enough to drive a Mack truck through. Exactly. With, you know, the emotional well-being of mm-hmm. the mom. hmm And so actually, they you know... Put, they'd like to put those scary, language, scary words in there so they
1: can... Right. Just a just a it, 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 it's just an attempt to obfuscate the uh, the whole uh, matter, and um, you know. And speaking of rape and incest, I always like to say, well, who who is the the victim here? You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, who is the perpetrator of the evil? It is the rapist. It is the person who commits incest. It's not the baby. And yet the the solution to Rape and incest in the, in the pro-aborts mind is to kill the innocent victim and harm that's right. the other innocent victim who, who happens to be uh, the mother.
0: Well, I mean, that's the thing. In Massachusetts, if a woman is raped and a child is conceived, only one person legally can receive the death penalty, and it's not the rapist.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and also, the rapist or the person committing the incest can be the one who takes a 16-year-old, for instance to yeah. the abortion clinic. There's no parental right. consent. There's not even a judicial bypass anymore. So that the only right. adult who needs to be informed of this 16-year-old wanting an abortion is the abortionist or perhaps right. the, the rapist who brings her or the, the uh, sex trafficker who brings exactly. her. So it's, it's so horrible on a number of levels, and we've got a, a lot of work to do. This concludes part one of my conversation with Andrew Beckwith, president of Massachusetts Family Institute. For more information about Massachusetts Family Institute, go to mafamily.org. And tune in next time when we will speak more about the overturning of Roe v. Wade and the satanic backlash that is occurring at pregnancy resource centers across the country. Including right here in Massachusetts. And until next time, remember, we should always treat life with care and respect. And at the very least, we should first do no harm. First Do No Harm with Dr. Mark Rollo is produced at WQPH 89.3 FM Shirley. Richburg, we are very happy to share it with other networks.
0: Thank you for tuning in to First Do No Harm. Dr. Rolo welcomes your questions and comments. You may contact him at Rolo 978 at gmail.com. That's M-A-R-K-R-O-L-L-O 978 at gmail.com. Thank you. And until next week, remember, first do no harm.